I think the best advice that I ever got is write what you want to write and make what you want to make uh, because it, it literally isn't worth it if, if you don't. Um, and I think that took, it took me a while for that to, to sit in and like really understand what that meant. This is Max Q, the podcast by Peabody's Launchpad office dedicated to demystifying what life is like after graduation. Every episode, we sit down with a recent Peabody alumni to get their take on what life is like for working artists in today's world. Multifaceted careers, time management, finances, finding balance between your work and your life. We explore that and more on the Max Q podcast. Welcome to season three of Max Q. Our first episode this week features composer, instrumentalist, rapper, and producer Arindam Jurakan. After his first album, Flinch, was released during his final year at Peabody, Arindam is currently pursuing his DMA in composition at the University of Southern California's Thornton School of Music. We discuss the synergy between his different styles, creating and publicizing your music and albums, and building and maintaining the relationships that make a career work. Arindam, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us for Max Q. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm wondering if you could start out by just uh, telling us a little bit about what your life looks like right now since you've graduated. Yeah, um, I kind of had a straight in shot from the master's to a doctorate because I took some time off between uh, my undergrad and my master's. So I was always planning on going straight into a doctorate if I could. Um, and I luckily got into uh, USC's Thorne School of Music um, and just finished up my first year there. Um, and the way that the the, the school and the, the program is structured, uh, in order for me to be pretty efficient, I had to take summer classes as well. So my summer actually got pretty short. So um, I kind of spent this summer taking a step back and sitting down and relaxing for a little bit because I realized the past five years have been me constantly trying to get to a next stage of, of this kind of life. Um, so I've been able to create some stuff, but also just sit down and like relax for the first time in, in my life before heading back into the second year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Relaxing. Important. <laughs> um, You've obviously been very busy with the program, but what has, um, I mean, have you been able to do any projects or creation outside of that or, or is your life pretty much consumed by, by your doctoral studies? I, well, I guess, uh, so USC is, um, has a DMA. So the way they kind of approach it is that, um, you, the main thing you're doing is your craft. Uh, and your craft is anything you want that to be, as long as you're creating um, music, uh, at least within the composition degree. And we have some pretty progressive people here at the faculty, like Ted Hearn, Nina Young, and now uh, Kamea Yewa, uh, better known as More Mother. So like the question, if I create outside of the institution is... a, a a funny question to me because I feel like it's a yes and no answer. Um, uh, yes, in the sense that like I am constantly creating uh, still my hip hop music and rapping, um, which is sits outside of the institution, uh, kind of what is expected. However, 
even though it's not like a, a full a full acceptance within the systems and institutions, uh, USC in particular, and also Peabody when I was there, um, validated and allowed me to do those things. And my mentors and professors would talk to me about my tracks and all this stuff. So um, I view it as all the same as like, uh, even though I like wrote a solo piano piece um, and I'm going to have a, a solo classical guitar piece come out. I'm still like working on uh, a debut record with uh, some other like singles and EPs in the mix uh, that are fully hip hop focused. Well, so I, I guess we've kind of brought up, it's curious to me that the, the hip hop angle didn't really come up in the opening. So I, I, what's, what has that part of your life been like over the past year as well, or since graduation? Yeah, I guess, I guess it's interesting. Cause like, um, I've just come to a point where I like don't like to label myself as a thing because then I I become like that thing. But I do. I mean, I I like uh, I should probably start talking a little bit more about it. Um, but yeah, that that has been pretty uh, pretty amazing. Um, like I feel like at, in my master's uh, the second year, uh, I, I released a track with um, Conrad Tao called Revolution. And that piece was very much a proof of concept for the direction I was heading in with uh, kind of using all of my influences in one kind of amalgam uh, into it, into becoming its own thing. Uh, and it worked really well, at least for me, but I, I thought I could improve on it quite a bit. Um, and then I uh, released an EP uh the summer after i graduated from peabody and that went really well um uh, kind of uh did much better than i thought it was gonna do not like a crazy amount of, of traction but with the limited marketing i did got a lot of people around the world here in this thing um and that had just pushed me to kind of fully pursue the hip-hop route as like my main form of creation uh and my main aesthetic that i'm going for but i mean i sit with within a pretty niche world within hip hop, uh, creating kind of weird industrial intense sounds. Uh, uh, so um, it's it, the past year has been just kind of me like doubling down on the thing and developing it, uh, trying to build out a, a set both individually um, or I have a band that's in the making and we're starting to rehearse. That's a pretty small uh, group of, uh, it would be electronics, drums, guitar, and then me as a vocalist. And then just kind of putting together sets in, in ways of um, recreating these tracks that are recorded mediums uh, in a live context, um, uh, which has been interesting because so many of the people in contemporary composition that I know uh, usually do it the opposite way around like find ways to to play things live and then get a recording of it um so it's been interesting to approach performance from that angle uh and tends to be like the people i love the most who do that like uh jack white or radiohead or kendrick lamar um but yeah no it, it's been pretty awesome and usc has been letting me just kind of make as much as i want of that kind of stuff <laughs> I, so you, you kind of touched on something interesting there about like the differences between the new music, art music, composition way of doing things and the hip hop way of doing things. I'm kind of curious if you can expand on that, like as someone with feet in both worlds, what are the what are the differences and what honestly is like the, the learning you can port across from one to the other? 
I think it's less, at least the way I think about it, I think it's less of contemporary versus hip hop. And I think it's more live performance versus a recorded medium. And I think that I've, I've been reading a lot of, uh, a lot of books by uh, directors lately, and I've, uh, I'm a big cinephile, but like I, I usually tend to view a lot of the curation of these jam sessions and of these uh, these takes that I'm, I'm I'm creating for my for my works as uh, like directing actors in a lot of ways. But I think it, the this guy Andre Tarkovsky, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, talks a lot about the difference between theater and film and what like philosophically ideologically kind of like into the intuition like what goes into both of them and it's such a highly different thing that you're trying to accomplish because like theater you're trying to get somebody to recreate that thing in a unique way that gets your audience engaged in a variety in theater it's the same space but in in contemporary music it's different spaces um and then in film you don't need the recreation you just need to find like the quote-unquote perfect take or the ideal take of a performance to evoke a certain feeling or a certain um uh experience that you want to get across to people and i view the difference between like writing for live music and writing for a recorded medium as very similar to that uh and not saying they can't be overlapped or not saying that there's a value judgment or anything but i think that um when i'm thinking about it i'm trying to get the best takes out of a variety of sessions to 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 kind of like put together uh, into into something that becomes the best version of that thing. And then when I'm thinking about performance, uh, I'm like, how do I evoke the energy of this thing within this particular context and space with this audience, with these things? Um, and I think that there's some thought of that when you do it the other way around. I think a lot of contemporary composers are constantly thinking of like space and audience, but their space and audience tends to be a little bit more streamlined into like what um, their aesthetic, uh, or what people expect from their aesthetic and in, in, in like concert halls and all these things. So it becomes a little bit easier to be like, oh, these concert halls will be the same if I, and like everybody can just like look at this sheet music and recreate this thing and sometimes it works but i do think that the main difference that i've seen specifically in terms of performance between uh, a strictly like institutional academic world and outside of that is that people don't really adjust to the space unless there's like it's a orchestral piece and that specific orchestra knows that space very well i think that like that needs to be thought about a lot more. And and Kamea Yewa at USC is the person who really had me start thinking about it this past year because people interpret things so differently depending on like, even like the lighting of a space, the size of a space and like um, what has happened in that space before, where is that space? 
another piece I wanted to touch on was just this idea of the importance of relationships. How do you how do you find those people? How do you build those relationships? How do you maintain those relationships? What is that like? Yeah, I it's it's interesting because I mean, especially having come from a uh, a background in STEM, networking was awful. Networking is only is I won't say only. I'll say primarily transactional in the STEM world. Um, and one of the biggest changes I noticed, uh, especially coming into the music world, the academic music world, is that networking just seemed like making friends. It was let because we don't have like a commodity. Um, uh, it's less about like uh, this transactional nature of things. Uh, maybe I mean I'm sure it's still there, but like comparatively to what I was experiencing in in, in medicine was not not nearly as crazy. Uh, and then in terms of finding the people that um, I want to work with, one, it's uh, just like people I've played with before, just like people who I know, that, people I either played with or have heard them play. And like, I'm like, that's, that's what I want in my, in my work, or I want to try to seeing if that person has, has, uh, can, can contribute to my work. And most of the time it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. And I have to like work around, like, um, uh, a singer from Peabody, um, a she, a Bailey Galindo, we worked on a on the EP together and she it took us two sessions, but she then came up with this thing that I loved and then ended up on the record. Whereas uh, one of my friends at USC, um, incredible violinist, insane violinist. But after a couple of sessions, we still haven't gotten down exactly or I haven't been able I, I view it as as. A, as a kind of a fault on my own like i haven't given her the environment or tools necessary to get what i want to be on the page or be on be in this recorded medium but a lot of it is just constantly uh you know meeting up with these people and it just it tends to just be my friends it tends to be just people that like i've befriended and i think are cool and then end up being like oh like you play this instrument like pretty pretty well or like um both outside and inside the institution um so like i've been i feel like it's been very lucky where like i've just ended up having these friends especially i mean a lot going through the conser conservatories but like meeting people and being like oh like we we seem like we're chilling let's like try to make some music together some and i i think i think that's the other thing is that i unless I'm like very, very close with the people, um, I don't say like, I want you on this specific thing. Like there's a guitar I work with from USC, um, CL Shaw, who we've been working like a lot together. Basically this past year, we've probably, we, we, we like try to average recording like every three weeks or so. Um, and with him, I can tell him like, oh, you remember this track? Like, I want you to like play along to this track or you remember this thing you did, like prepare some of this. Uh, I want you to do this for this thing. And it, it becomes much more specific. But when I'm starting out a relationship with people that I'm collaborating with, it's usually like, let's jam or make music together. Or like, I have this verse, why don't you play some stuff and I'll try to wrap it over. Um, and or we'll just like completely freestyle or improvise based off of like if if this person is an improviser or not um a lot of it is just like discovering and playing together 
And then if we vibe, then it works. And if it doesn't, then we go our separate ways or like we don't really continue doing that thing. But I have yet to find somebody that I've invited into my studio that I don't want to work with on at least one thing. So I'm kind of curious to drill down on your experience with putting out recordings, because I think that that's something that a lot of people aspire to do. And I, I would love, can you just detail, like, what was your experience with putting out um, your your first DP, if that's the best thing to start with? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's this one thing that I saw, I'm, I'm probably going to forget some elements of it. Um, like it's like everybody, everybody says like a good, a great song is a great master of a great mix of great takes of a great song so like you just have to, like there's so many levels to a recorded medium um outside your control if you're not a full-on audio engineer um there's just so many levels to it that end up influencing how it's going to be heard by other people um and i think that's that's the main thing that people i think don't realize is that like you there's so so much goes into it and so much has to be like the best take or the the greatest take or the greatest mix or just like you have to optimize every aspect about it because you're gonna keep losing material or like i kind of view it as as uh you know like losing fidelity over time is like you you know these these files are degrading in the same way that you have like a perfect idealized picture for this work and then as you keep adding more and more things and like tightening things up and then especially when you master things uh in this day and age where people don't have uh ideal listening setups and that you're basically uh mastering for ear pods or or computer speakers which kills me um that is one element of recording that is uh while I've been, I, I consider myself incredibly lucky because the person who mixes and masters my music, we've been friends since I was a freshman in college and we played in a band together. And I could probably find somebody who is more aligned with my type of music. Um, I mean, I think his mixing and mastering is incredible, but I could probably find somebody who's like deeply, who's like deep into like weird, intense hip hop music. But he's probably the only person that would allow me to like stand over his shoulder for like three hours and talk to him as he's mixing and mastering my work and he'll be fine with it. So like, I think like those relationships and interactions with people who are manipulating your work uh, are invaluable because oftentimes you'll just have to send it off to get mixed and mastered. So I, I, I'm almost curious about like, can you talk through the process of after you've gotten everything, you got it to the point of release what happened then? Like, how did you distribute? How did you publicize? Yeah, yeah, we can we can talk about like the the logistic aspects of it. Um, so yeah, for the EP, I mean, it also it all depends on like you know how much literal money you're willing to to put into the project. Because um, I mean, a lot of it a lot of it is marketing in terms of like uh, getting it out there. Um, the one thing you need to know is that. If you're an independent artist, you're not making money on streaming services. <laughs> like, I think I think a lot of people need to know that instead of like going in with an expe expectation to make something. Like, I've made I've made like maybe twenty bucks 
over the course of of this past like a year and couple months which is i think pretty awesome and pretty dope but like it's nowhere near you know making making a making any meat um uh, and i have friends who have like a million you know streams on a song who like it's still not enough <laughs> it's still very much not enough um uh, but in terms of like putting it out there i personally uh suggest distro kid as the distributor um you need to have a distributor of some sort um whether that's a label or through these independent distributors um uh there's tune something um i forgot what that one was called but uh the major ones is uh this one with tune in the name and then and a distro kit. I prefer distro kit because it allows you to um, upload a lot more for a lot less money and across many stream, uh, streaming platforms. I think it's a little less customizable, but um, I'm not trying to be as customizable in that right now. Um, and then once that is out there, like I personally didn't want to put it on every streaming platform because um, I wanted to manage the artist profile on each of the streaming platforms that I posted on. So I kept it minimal and I've only been posting on like Apple music, uh, Spotify, um, and, uh, Amazon music for anybody who wants to purchase it since I don't have a physical medium. And then I'll have it on, uh, YouTube once I get, um, uh, like I'm not starting a YouTube, YouTube channel so I have some videos of me performing but then it'll be on that as well um and then after that you then basically just have to submit that music to as many places as possible depend um trying to get it onto I would say playlists like I mean I think blog posts are pretty great to and like getting written up about are ways to be exposed but and like if you have a high traffic uh, or high volume blog that'll be great but i would say the main way people are discovering music uh in today's world is through playlists on these streaming platforms and not necessarily even like editorial playlists like there are a lot of websites like submit hub like daily playlists uh, boost collective is, is interesting it's worth trying out but like yeah there's there's a bunch of um different playlist playlist uh submission websites as well as ways you can find playlist curators um and the the smaller the, the shorter the track listing with the larger amount of people the more exposure you're gonna get um and some of those playlists have led me to get like five plays and some of those playlists have led me to get like hundreds of plays um even to thousands um so it just depends on like what where you're submitting what's um uh, and a lot of that also requires research on like is this playlist is gonna want my music on on its uh with this specific vibe like is it gonna fit into this thing so you then need to learn a little bit about your music and how it's portrayed and how people perceive it like like hype gym workout playlists they love my music am i gonna like is, is that my like main target demographic when i'm thinking about this music not really but like it gets plays <laughs> and like if they're willing to listen to my music and want to listen to my music that's awesome that's great that they want to hear that um there's a, a lot of like 
sad boy playlist that I end up getting on as a result of some of my sad music. Um, but yeah, it's just like a lot of it is distribution to getting to those streaming platforms and then like sending it out to blogs or playlists or anything that's going to get your um, your music out there to be listened to. But and, and for anybody who's I guess I should say this because uh, I didn't like fully know it's a little self-explanatory, but like once you start putting that stuff out, especially start marketing it on social media. Like there are tons and tons of just fraudulent people who are going to try to get your money to promote a thing. Um, and that's where a lot of the other research comes in as well, because some of them may actually be worth it to explore and have been in my experience, but most of them are just trying to get your money. So like there, there's a whole, whole world in terms of releasing it logistically uh, and trying to kind of like figure out where the money goes and where and if you have and like if you have the funds and like what um, what goals you have for that that project. You mentioned uh, this idea of like coming, recognizing the audience for your music, even if that doesn't always line up with the audience that you have in mind when you're creating it. And I'm, I'm super curious about how. How did you discover that? I mean, was it just like you looked at like, oh, I submitted to this one gym playlist and like it was getting me a whole ton of plays? Or... Yeah, I, th I think it's I think it's just like kind of like it's more of like just like the data of because I'm putting out I'm because there are a lot of ways you can submit uh, free play uh, free uh, uh, do free submissions to playlists. Um, I also do like paid submission playlists, but specifically to submit hub. Um, but just from the large volume of free submissions along with the, like, that is also, that generally has influenced what I submit to with the paid stuff. But because I've now like submitted many, many, um, too many playlists, like probably like well over 200 playlists that I, and like, I would say there's about 50 that I know pretty well now and like that uh, either really want to hear my music or really don't want to hear my music. Um, uh, but after a while, you just start like realizing like, oh, like, like gym hype workout or like, or like never, never rest workout or like, like all these like uh, titles, like start accepting your songs and you're like, okay, like, <laughs> I guess like, these types of playlists and like you start to see similar types of songs and you hear like oh like these are people this is how people hear my music and i think it depends on like every track every project like the ep i didn't realize but came off as a very much like trap metal record even though there's like I, I think it sits outside of trap but i think it's like the closest thing people have to like what what uh what I'm trying to do. Um, and like some of the newer stuff I'm putting out is like not like still similarly intense, but a different aesthetic in some ways and like incorporating different things. So like maybe some of the tracks will be worth it to apply to some of those gym things, but maybe, maybe it like won't do as well. Like this most recent single I put out, like didn't do as well in like the gym stuff because it's like a little bit more pensive. And like, I have like, uh, my friend singing at the end that's like a little bit more chill um, uh, while it still has some intensity. So 
it just depends on and it also just depends on like what people are feeling like at the time like i've had playlists that love my music that when i've resubmitted they're like ah no not really and then i've had people who hate my music before and then i've resubmitted and they're like oh yeah it was great so a, a lot of it is just like a shot in the dark for i think for independent artists re releasing recorded music um i think that unfortunately you like it is only it is only like an investment like there is no you're not getting anything out of it until theoretically you've you've gained traction so i i like to end with two questions just to kind of uh give us an idea of of what you're currently interacting with media wise. So is there anything that you want to share that you're currently reading, listening to, or watching? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, my favorite record of the year is, uh, it's almost dry by Pusha T. I actually think it's, um, a genius, genius record. Uh, it, I mean, half of it is produced by Pharrell and half is produced by Kanye. Um, just an insane an insanely amazing record that I love. Uh, and then more recent uh, that came out at the beginning of this year, but the more recently the Steve Lacey record Gemini, uh, Gemini rights, I think. Yeah. Gemini rights came out. I think it's phenomenal. And in terms of reading Andre Tarkovsky's sculpting in time, I think for anybody is who is like a creator in any medium, uh, very much worth a read to, to just like think about, creating and what what that what that is and and the goals of that um but the those things i feel like i've been mainly consuming me <laughs> cool and then the last thing is just do you have any any uh words of wisdom or advice that you'd pass along to current or prospective peabody students yeah i think the best advice that i ever got um once because when i started um the master's uh, and got to start meeting a bunch of people who have been in conservatories or who like have made careers out of conservatories. That was my first time in a conservatory. I kept asking, you know, for a master's composer, like what is the best advice you give? And what I heard the most and has still and has main like has been the best advice I ever got is write what you want to write and make what you want to make. Uh, because it, it literally isn't worth it if, if you don't. Um, and I think that took, it took me a while for that to, to sit in and like really understand what that meant. Uh, cause there was a lot of things that I was doing with my creation that I was like, oh, like, you know, even going back to the question you asked, like, if, are you creating anything inside or outside of the institution and stuff like that? Um, like I viewed them, viewed my hip hop and like the contemporary music as different things. Um, until, and then once I started being like, oh, anything I create is equal, like, what do I want to make? Uh, and then as soon as I started making that stuff, that's when things started like to like people started recognizing me more. Awesome. Arinda, thanks so much for taking the time to chat and, uh, I will look forward to seeing, uh, uh what you release next. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy to be on this end of things now. <laughs> Closing out the episode is a clip from Arindam's latest single, Persona. You can find a link to the full track and link to Arindam's website and other materials in the episode notes. I used to dress up so people would treat me the same.